Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Thursday, April 6, 2023, Holy Thursday in the Christian calendar, the first day of Passover for our Jewish brethren. Uh, it's about five after one on the east in the afternoon here on the East Coast of the United States. Scott Ritter joins us today. Scott, always a pleasure. Uh, thank you for coming to us. Since uh, we were last together, President uh, Putin uh, received the official credentials of the new United States ambassador to Russia. He did so in the presence of other new ambassadors and some already seated Western ambassadors. And he said something which I've not heard him say before. The reason we have a war in Ukraine is because of the United States. The United States fomented and succeeded in a coup to overthrow the Ukrainian government, the so-called color revolution in 2014. And it's about time everybody knew that. Surprised that President Putin was that candid on the international stage? No, because, you know, prior to that, uh, Russia announced its new foreign policy, which is predicated on uh, its stepping away from the West and um, self-declaring themselves to be a major center of world influence. Um, And in doing so, Russia no longer plays nice with the West. Russia has for some time tried to be a partner with the West, uh, to, to work with the West, to integrate with the West. Uh, but the West has not only rejected Russia, but has declared war against Russia. And so I knew when he made the announcement of this new Russian foreign policy definition that it would have um, an impact on how Russia <clears throat> postures globally. And this is, this is it. Russia's done playing nice with the West. No more you know, diplomatic uh, speeches, no more, you know, trying to work things out behind the scenes. They're going to call it as they see it. And who can take, uh, who can take umbrage to what Putin said? This is a war created by the United States. He's 100% correct. Uh, about three ah. weeks ago, uh, the FBI arrested a guy who they say is named Sergei Cherkasov. He claimed he was a Brazilian soccer star. They arrested him in the U.S., they say he's FSB and is uh, engaged in espionage. About two weeks later, the Wall Street Journal published an article saying the sanctions are beginning to hurt and bite in Russia. And about a week after that, the author of that article, uh, an American young man from New Jersey, uh, was arrested by the FSB, claiming he had military secrets in his hands. Are, are all of these connected? Is this a new uh, diplomacy of kidnap? arrest, trade, kidnap, arrest, trade? Well, I'd have to see the the specifics. I mean, I know what the charges are against each individual. Um, you know, is, is the FBI in the business of rolling people up without cause? Um, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> is, is the FSB in the business of rolling people up without cause? Perhaps. 
Um, I, I, I think the case against the uh, Wall Street Journal journalist is rock solid. Uh, my understanding is that he uh, had received classified documents that he was specifically requesting information relating to uh, the production of um, of specific kinds of weapons done at a top secret facility in the vicinity of the city that he was uh, arrested in. And if this is the case, um, he has to understand this isn't the United States. Uh, you can't just go around receiving classified information and uh, and hiding behind uh, First Amendment protections. Uh, if you seek and receive classified information in violation of Russian law on Russian territory, you're a spy. You're you're committing espionage. It's not journalism. Now we'll let this play out in the courts. We'll see what the Russians do. And I, no matter what they do in the United States, of course, they're going to be attacked as this is baseless. You already heard the president come out, etc. And we'll see what the FBI does. What's their case against this uh, this, this Brazilian soccer star slashed uh, FSB agent? Um, we'll let it play out. But the, the bottom line is that's where we're at now. We're in Cold War 2.0, where we're in, where we're going to be snatching people on any pretext, um, and then we're going to be engaged in the lengthy uh, process of you know, spy swaps. Has the FSB penetrated the United States? Of course they have, just like we have penetrated them. And and what are they? I mean, they're they're not Russian law enforcement like the FBI is, unless I'm wrong. They're Russian intel, right? No, the FSB is the Federal Security um, Bureau. Uh, they are uh, they are the equivalent of the FBI, but with a broader uh, foreign mandate. Um, they they, for instance, have jurisdiction over what they call the near abroad, the former uh, Soviet republics. Um, and they they do counterintelligence work uh, here in the United States, but the, the 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 main guys. I would be surprised if there's an actual FSB agent operating uh, undercover the way they talked about. That's the job of the SVR, the uh, the Foreign Intelligence Branch, or the GRU, the Military Intelligence Branch. So um, we'll 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 see. But the uh, you know the the people that uh, that that run agents on the soil of the United States are primarily GRU and uh, SVR. The FSB is more of a counterintelligence security uh, group. It's just like the FBI is uh, very rarely uh, does human uh, agent running abroad. Uh, they, they um, you know, they're primarily a, a, a domestic law enforcement counterintelligence uh, organization. The uh, assassination of uh, Tartarsky uh, by uh, blowing him up from a uh, uh, a bomb that was inside a statue of himself that a young woman gave him. She then sits down in the first or second row. The bomb explodes. I, she's probably going to say, somebody just handed it to me. I don't didn't know there was a bomb in there. Otherwise, why would I be seated here? Whatever. Uh, Tartarsky was to, as I understand it, President Putin's right on the political spectrum, a nationalist that wanted an even heavier hand than the President Putin is using in Ukraine similar to the father of Daria Dugina, the father was the target, Daria ended up being killed. Uh, is this the style of Ukraine intel? And if it is, what conceivable purpose does it serve? It's a pinprick as far as Putin is concerned, I would think. Well, it, it's definitely um, the work of the SBU, the, the Ukrainian Intelligence Services. Uh, you know, the Russian uh, FSB is very good at what they do. And uh, they were forensic. They forensically deconstructed the Daria Dugina assassination plot, and they have made amazing progress in terms of, uh, you know, deconstructing uh, what forensically what happened with uh, 
um, you know, Mr. F uh, Foman, Maxim Foman, uh, Tatarsky's is a uh, non de guerre. Um, it, you know, what, what good? It's, it's, it's a uh, vehicle of intimidation. Uh, the same thing, uh, you know, why does the Center for Countering Disinformation, the uh, agency working for the president of Ukraine, publish a blacklist that, uh, that, that, that puts out the names of uh, Americans? I'm number one on the list, by the way, uh, accusing us of being terrorists, of uh, being war criminals, etc. I'm also on the Miratvoritz list, the same list that Daria Dugina and Maxim Fomin were on. Now, I'm marked for death. Uh, I think what they're trying to do is is intimidate people, scare them. Um, I'm, only I'm only smiling, not not because you're on that list, but because Colonel McGregor told us you were on that list and in the same breath said, Ritter's a tough guy. He can take care of himself. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, the bottom line is if they want to get you, they're going to get you. So I'm not losing any sleep over it. I take precautions. I do, you know, things that I was trained to do a while ago. I'm 61 years old. So uh, any notion of me engaging in close quarter combat with people, I'm some sort of, uh, you know, Rambo type uh, thing. No, if they want to get me, they're going to get me. Uh, but what they're not going to do is intimidate me. What they're not going to do is get me to become silent. And the thing that irritates me isn't just that the Ukrainian government's doing it. We're paying them. We organize the Center for Countering Disinformation. This is a proxy effort by the United States government to silence Americans with an opposing point of view, with a dissenting point of view. And that's problematic. I mean, you know, we expect. Problematic? It's more than problematic. It's a direct violation of the First Amendment for the American government to lift a finger or spend a dime, a nickel, a penny on silencing or chilling the rights okay. of any free speech of any person, American or not, in America. Rep reprehensible. I'm not Thank saying you. that because we're friends and colleagues. Yeah. I'm saying it because that is a fair and essentially unassailable interpretation and is the current interpretation of the First Amendment. I want to go east for a few minutes, and then I want to bring you back um, to uh, Ukraine. Uh, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, um, Kevin McCarthy, uh, entertained the president of Taiwan at Simi Valley, California, at the Reagan Library at the same time that Representative uh, Mike McCall, uh, the chair of the House Armed Services Committee, stood in Taiwan and said, we want to harden Taiwan. First McCall and then McCarthy. McCall is, is in a press conference environment, appears to be at an airport. Uh, McCarthy's on uh, Fox News. Take a listen to both. Being here, I think, sends a signal to the Chinese Communist Party that the United States supports Taiwan uh, and that we're going to harden Taiwan, uh, and we want them to think twice about invading Taiwan. Very bipartisan meeting. We had Republicans and Democrats here speaking with one voice. And you know what? We need to speed up our weapons sales to Taiwan. Have we learned anything what's happening around the world? Let them defend themselves, deter the ability of China to enter Taiwan. We need to be able to foster greater democracy and freedom. We need to be able to work together economically from the chip manufacturing and others. I found it a very productive meeting. It was the first time a Speaker of the House has ever met with a Taiwanese president on American soil. But I think it was very important in a bipartisan manner, almost 20 members together meeting. All right, so McCall... He doesn't make policy, but he does control the uh, Pentagon budget. We want to harden Taiwan. McCarthy, there are Democrats here, okay? There's one party in Congress. It's called the War Party. No surprise. 
uh, and they're uh, in favor of this. Needless provocation, political posturing, pandering to the crowd back home, or uh, a sign of things to come? Just straight up stupidity. Um, uh, you know, let's just imagine we erase the, the, the dates and we erase Taiwan and replace it with Ukraine. This is the exact same rhetoric that people like these two said in the years leading up to the Ukraine conflict, giving the Ukrainians the same false hope. We're about democracy. We're going to harden Ukraine. We're going to make Ukraine part of NATO. We're here for you, buddies. We're never going to abandon you. Now look what happened to Ukraine. And the difference is now with Taiwan is, A, this president uh, lost a major midterm um, uh, election back uh, in, in 2022. Her party got trounced when she tried to push aggressive policies against uh, you know, mainland China. Uh, she's up for re-election in 2024. She's probably going to get beat by the Kuomintang, who aren't meeting with McCarthy, aren't meeting with McCall, but are across the straits in China making good with the Communist Party that Mr. McCall uh, belittles. America is the world's worst friend, and the Taiwanese know this. All they have to do is take a look at the TV screen and see what happened to Ukraine when it was backed by America, when it was hardened by America, when America was with them, promoting democracy. America slaughtered Ukraine. We've slaughtered 400,000 Ukraines destroyed, and the smart-thinking Taiwanese are saying that is not going to be our future. So this is just American politicians being straight-up stupid. Now, I'm hoping the American people can see through this nonsense. I know the Taiwanese people are seeing through it, and the Chinese Communist Party that Mr. McCall belittles, they don't care about him because at the end of the day, he's a nobody. You know, he controls the Pentagon budget. That's it. He doesn't control anything else. And Chinese aren't intimidated by the Pentagon budget, by him, or any words that come out of him, his mouth or Mr. McCarthy's mouth. Last night, the uh, White House revealed that the president authorized another $2.8 billion, with a B, uh, in military equipment to uh, make its way to uh, Ukraine. It appears to be most of that uh, is HIMARS. Um, more of the same. Where is it getting us? What's it going to accomplish? I mean, it's going to further strip away. Uh, I think 500 million of that uh, comes directly from our stockpiles. So again, for the average American, listen, let me tell you what's happening. They're taking weapons that we, your taxpayer dollars, went to procure and stockpile so that if we ever had to go to war, we had weapons. To do it. We're taking these weapons from our stockpile. We're taking them away from American troops at a time, by the way, when McCarthy and McCall, those great Americans, are talking about the potential for conflict with China. So rather than stockpiling the weapons, we're giving the way to Ukraine, who is defeated. Uh, their army is crushed. These weapons didn't make a difference previously. They're not going to make a difference now. They're just going to result in more dead Ukrainians and a weaker America. Thank you, Joe Biden. What is the significance? So let's go back to uh, Ukraine since you brought us there. What is the significance of the now near universally uh, accepted fall of Bakhmut? Our friend and colleague, uh, Colonel McGregor, argues that uh, the Russians brilliantly induced or seduced more uh, Ukraine troops into the defense of Bakhmut than it was really worth. Um, and President Zelensky and his military commanders foolishly sent more human beings there that now came back in body bags than was worth in a losing effort? Well, first of all, I'll take umbrage that uh, the, the Ukrainians were foolish here. 
the Bakhmut Solidar complex, because uh, Solidar was a, a sister city to the north of Bakhmut. Each of them have deep uh, underground salt mines that enhance the defensibility of this. They've been dug in forever. Um, I could have made a case that the Ukrainians were seeking to break the back of the Russian army to by defending this, the most defensible space in Ukraine, by digging in and forcing the Russians to come at them in urban combat, some of the most difficult combat, that the Ukrainians were saying, we can break their back, therefore we can break the will of their army, the will of their people, and we can bring this fighting to a close. We can drive Russia to the negotiating table. So I understand completely what the Ukrainians are trying to do. The problem is they were up against the Russian army, and not just the Russian army, Wagner. And Wagner is a unique force uh, with a unique set of combat skills and a unique um, ethos uh, about fighting. And uh, Wagner just ground these guys up. I mean, they slaughtered them. And at some point in time, you know, if you're the Ukrainians, you have to say, do we continue to double down on stupid? Meaning what we're doing isn't working. We're losing. We don't have a solution. But we're just replaying the same death and destruction over again. Maybe we should fall back on. But they politically committed. And what's happened is, and Colonel McGregor's right, the Russians have broken the back of the Ukrainian army. The Ukrainian army will never recover from Bakhmut. The number of dead is 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 mind-boggling to the Western mind. Um, and the, the resources that were poured into that. Ukraine put everything they have into that fight, and Wagner beat them. Here's uh, our friend. Jack Devine, who, of course, takes a, a different position on the progress uh, of Russian forces uh, westward. The he, H-E, to whom Devine uh, refers several times in the second half of this clip is obviously uh, President Putin. This will get under your skin, Scott. In the last two months, you were telling me these great wizards of the war were saying the Russians have the 300,000-man army and they're going to roll right over Ukraine. Here we are, 150,000 troops went in, and they may or may not have taken a town. I mean, he is having a hard time. This is not victory. This Anybody that thinks he's won something, God bless you. But, I mean, I, I don't know how I could hold my head and invade a country and move a few kilometers, you know. So I, I think he's in trouble. I think he's in serious trouble. That's why there's a fight between the regular military and, and uh, the Wagner group. That's a lot to unpack, Scott, but go ahead. Um, I mean, you know, um, Mr. Devine obviously um, has bought into a certain narrative. Um, it's a narrative that's void of um, military um, foundation. It's an ideological narrative. Um, he's misrepresented uh, this fight. It's, hey, Jack, when you're in a uh, attritional warfare thing, attrition. It's a word. Look it up. I know the CIA has dictionaries. Look it up. It's not about taking land. It's about grinding the enemy down. So if you're in an attritional battle and you kill 80,000 of them and you lose 30,000 guys, you've won a major victory, Jack. And so that's what they've been doing. They've won it. Um, you know, he... <laughs> For a CIA guy, he doesn't know much about Vladimir Putin. He doesn't know much about Russia. He doesn't know much about uh, uh, about the you know the Russian strategy. Um, I, I I think again, you know, I respect him. I respect what he did for his country, and I'm not here. I apologize if anything I just said came off as denigrating Mr. Devine, uh, but he's wrong. He's dead wrong. But the proof is in the pudding. I mean, the the beauty of things like this is um, I just wait. 
and um, the facts will come to me. They're not. They're they're moving away from him. They're moving away from all the people that were, you know, trumping up the Ukrainians, saying they were going to do X, Y, and Z, um, because they were under the perception that, you know, that when people like myself said Russia was going to win, early, you know, fast early on, that's because we thought Russia was going to invade. But when Russia came in with a special military operation, we've had this discussion before. Right. The timeline it's thrown out the window. So what Jack Devine and others don't understand is. Russia's not working from a calendar. Russia's working from results. And the results 100% favor Russia. There's not a single military expert out there that will tell you that the, 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 the momentum is with Russia. The trajectory is on Russia's side. And there's no chance right now for Ukraine to flip that script. Uh, Matt Van Dyke is the young American that from time to time we interview uh, from the field. Uh, in Ukraine, he, vol- he, he he works with a group of veterans, he tells us, who are uh, looking for unexploded uh, mines and neutralizing them, uh, and also from time to time helping to train rear-end, if you will, um, Ukrainian units. But he spent a week or two uh, at the front lines. He came back, we spoke with him this morning, and I asked him about Bakhmut, uh, and its failure, and whether the battle was worth it. Take a listen. Was Whether Bakhmut was worth it is something that historians will debate. We're not going to know that until we see the outcome of the rest of the war. Uh, it certainly has been high in casualties. It was given attention instead of Ukrainian counteroffensive in the winter. But I think that Russia isn't pushing an offensive because Putin's game is to wait it out, uh, similar to how Assad in Syria just waited until the world lost interest. I think that's Putin's Putin's playbook for this. What do you think? He may have his finger on something. The Putin is a master of patience. Well, Putin's a master of winning. Um, you know, sometimes winning requires patience, or does it? Definitely requires you not to uh, be lured into a trap or to do things precipitously, to do things before you're ready to do them. But I always laugh when people talk about Putin's playbook. Uh, hey, Matt. <laughs> publish it, man. You'd make a million bucks um, because no one has Putin's playbook except Putin. And, and, and to miss, you know, again, he's misrepresented. To think that all Russia did is sit in, uh, in Syria means you have total ignorance about what happened in Syria. Russia, together with the Syrian army, routed the various insurgent groups. Damascus used to be surrounded by ISIS and Al-Qaeda groups that controlled entire neighborhoods. Not anymore. Uh, Dara region used to be under the control of the Muslim Brotherhood. Not anymore. They've all been cleaned up and pushed to the north. That's not called sitting down. That's called winning. And you know who did it? The Russians did it. So Matt just doesn't know what he's talking about. Putin's playbook is patience, but you don't sit there. Uh, Sitting implies you're doing nothing. The Russians are very active. All you have to take a look is uh, is ask the Ukrainians, um, you know, how many men they're losing every day, how much equipment they're losing, what, what damage is being done. That's not being done because the Russians are just sitting there. It's being done because the Russians are actively kicking Ukrainians. But, and I, again, I'll just say that, Matt, I know you took umbrage at this before, but um, go home. Um, you're going to die. Straight up die. Um, a lot of your fellow uh, Americans and foreigners are dying now. The combat's just going to get worse. Um, go home. Do yourself a favor. You're not going to win this conflict. Here's what he said when I asked him, because he told us He's going back to the front lines. And I asked him why. Watch this. 
Why are you joining another unit? Why are you risking your life? You were almost killed once in Libya, more than once. You were almost killed in whatever you just did that we all respect. You can't tell us in detail in eastern Ukraine. Why would you, a young kid from the U.S., do this? I fight for causes I believe in, and I believe in this cause. Uh, this is about the freedom of a democratic country that was invaded by a tyrant and by Russia. To me, it's a pretty black and white situation. So it's something I believe in and something I'm going to do. I'm not just training people to go fight if I'm not willing to go do it myself. I, I don't think that's propaganda. I think he's speaking from his heart, uh, Scott. However, ill-advised, as the, as the priests would say, however wrongly formed his conscience is, I think he really uh, believes that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not here to denigrate his, um, his, 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 you know, um, his credibility in terms of accurately expressing what he believes. Um, I will say this: um, Matt Matt Van Dyke has has never been in the U.S. military, ever. Um, he is not the kind of person that the Ukrainian military puts into combat. Uh, there's been a lot of um, press given lately to. Um, people who have hyped up their thing. I'm not accusing them of doing this, but I think Matt needs to be careful. Um, operate within your boundaries. Um, there's a reason why the Ukrainians don't integrate you into their armed forces because you are not qualified to be in their armed forces. You haven't received the training. You don't have the tactical knowledge. Whatever skill set you think you're imparting to people, it's a skill set that's going to lead them to die because you're mis you're misleading them into believing they possess certain functionalities related to a combat that you don't have the ability to, to, to put on. I've put together military training missions before. And uh, Matt, uh, I, I know what he did in Libya. I, I appreciate his heart. I appreciate his courage. I'm not doubting that. But I'm just telling you straight up, this man doesn't know anything about war, about fighting modern war. It's now uh, Easter time uh, in Europe. So the weather's getting warmer. What should we expect in the next two or three months before summer is upon us? Lots of dead Ukrainians, um, tragically. More dead Ukrainians, more blown up uh, Ukrainian infrastructure, uh, continued Russian advances. Uh, I find it uh, problematic if Ukraine is going to be able to launch a, a, a major counteroffensive. I don't think they have the troops. I don't think uh, they have the equipment. Um, they don't have the momentum. Um, it, when Bakhmut finally collapses, there's going to be a giant hole in the Ukrainian line that's going to be filled. They're going to have to go up and defend Krasnoyarsk before the Russians uh, uh, run in and, and, and seize it. Um, this, this war, Judge, I've told you before, this war will be over by August, um, between August, September, and October of this year. I firmly believe that. And we are on a trajectory to achieve uh, that outcome on that timetable. And uh, Joe Biden and the American government and those in Langley, CIA, and Pentagon, who agree with him, have no credible off-ramp. Am I right? No, I mean, they're, they're not even trying. That's the sad part. Again, once again, the United States is sacrificing Ukrainians for our failed policy, just like we sacrificed, um, you know, the Afghans prior to this. People understand that, you know, Biden had made a, a decision um, you know, that, that we were pulling out, we were abandoning in Afghanistan. We made that in the spring of uh, 2021. And Biden left the Afghans believing up until the last day that we were there. We weren't going to pull out. We were behind them. Yeah. And the end result were tens of thousands of Afghan soldiers who bravely fought and died for a cause that we abandoned. Um, 
how many lives could we have saved if we just told the truth up front saying, we're done, we're leaving, uh, let's have a peaceful end to this conflict. But instead, we maintained the perception of American engagement. And that's what's going on right now. It's a perception. But the Ukrainians know that um, they're on they're on the cusp of being abandoned, not only by the United States, but by the West. Aside from President Xi's uh, suggestion of a ceasefire in the presence of President Putin two weeks ago, is there any uh, talk, I assume below the surface, it was, it was above the surface, we would hear of it. Is there any talk below the surface about uh, a ceasefire? Is there any communication of which you're aware three-way uh, Ukrainian, Russian, American on ending this? No, what we have is uh, Emmanuel Macron and uh, van der Leyen, the, uh, the, the, the European uh, commissioner uh, in China, begging Xi to announce his engagement in Xi's just silent because there's that the conditions aren't right for a ceasefire. The Ukrainians still believe that somehow a miracle is going to happen. We have Zelensky traveling to Poland talking about a post-conflict uh, confederation where uh, what's left of Ukraine is going to join with Poland to become this giant uh, Central European nation state. Um, but that just shows how desperate he is right now because he knows that everybody else is abandoning him. So he's willing to sacrifice Western Ukraine to Poland for one last fleeting hope of survival. But it's over. It's over. Russia is going to win and Russia is going to win big. Scott Ritter, always a pleasure, my dear friend. Have a happy Easter, you and your family. All the best. We'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. More as we get it. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.